Welcome to the Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. One challenge facing every military organization is to, as much as possible, is to prepare and then to treat as needed the psychological reactions to battle. This is commonly referred to as a post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD. Speaking today with us from Israel is Dr. Chaim Knobler. Dr. Knobler is a psychiatrist at the Hadassah Medical School in Jerusalem. He is also the former head of the Israeli Defense Forces Mental Health Department. Sir, thank you so much for being with us. Welcome. In June 2008, the Jerusalem Post published a piece entitled Defense Ministry to Begin Formal Treatment of Soldiers Suffering from PTSD. And in the article, it said that PTSD is a condition that should be treated earlier rather than later. What is the IDF's programs to prevent or reduce PTSD? Please just give us some insight, sir. Well, unluckily or luckily, Israel became a laboratory for the treatment and then the prevention of PTSD, both in the military and among civilians, because we can't forget that in the last 10 years, in the last decade, we had more casualties among civilians during the Second Intifada. We had about a thousand people killed and several thousand injured, most of them civilians. So we have PTSD not only among soldiers, but uh, also among many civilians. And as PTSD was discovered among soldiers, uh, mostly in the First and Second World War, we learned how to treat civilian PTSD in Israel from our experience in the military. Now, what, was in, what we had in the past is forgetfulness of the whole issue between wars. Because we had PTSD during our independence war in 48-49. We had PTSD also in 67, in the Six Days War, and we forgot all about it. Then in Yom Kippur War in 73, we were surprised to have thousands of combat PTSD soldiers. And then again, we tried to forget it. However, since the second intifada, since the last decade, truly from 2000-2001 till today, uh, it's there, it's uh, on the table. And we can forget it and the world cannot turn its back on it because of world terrorism, because of wars, and America is now concerned with PTSD and high level of suicide among soldiers in Iraq and in Afghanistan. So in the last decade, PTSD is less stigmatic, more well-known, and this is why it is easier to treat and to prevent. And you have a program now, from what I read, that if you get a recruit, you screen them and test them very carefully to get a sense if they are as much as one can predict, of course. This, this uh, system works in Israel for many, many years. It was invented first by the famous Israeli psychologist, Daniel Kahneman. He won the Nobel Prize. In 2002 for economics. Mm -hmm. His bigger invention is this screening, which is half-secret, done by the IDF before recruiting of uh, the compulsory service soldiers. And every male soldier is one that was recruited after he was screened by this system. And if
psychological screening finds any problem, then we test him by a psychiatric group. And this is why we choose the best people to the combat units. And this is also why we have, I think, less psychological problems, less suicides, etc., even though our service is compulsory. Then you have to remember that uh, the IDF has a 62-year-old system, which is different from other armies, uh, let's say, mostly different from the American system, because each officer in the Israeli army was a soldier. He's not uh, entering the officer's uh, school, he's entering the IDF. If he's good, he can go on and become an officer. If he is good, he can stay and be a career officer. And all along the way, he's tested also by psychological tests. So our career officers are one of the world's healthiest community, psychologically speaking. And, all, and go ahead. And most important for prevention of PTSD is that there is no gap, there there is no difference uh, between soldiers and officers. The soldiers know the officers. They come from the same communities. They come from the same background. They speak the same language. They some of the time they know each other. So it's quite different from armies where there is a gap between officers and soldiers. Then the units are mostly working together from recruitment until they finish their compulsory service. So they're all friends. And we have found what was really found also by American psychiatrists during the Second World War that the, help, the psychological help that soldiers get from their comrades is most important. And for prevention and treatment of, of combat PTSD, being with your friends, being with your comrades, being, staying with your battle comrades after the battle traumas is a most important issue. And if you let the, the units be become not united, become disturbed, become, if you don't keep these soldiers together, you create a problem. So we try to keep the soldiers as long as we can, even in reserve duty, in the same unit. This prevents and also cures some of the cases of PTSD. And that's, that's a difference, that's a difference, a built-in difference between the Israeli army and I think it's a very, very critical difference. And one of the ways that in my doing some background reading before talking to you is this after the event, um, I guess we'll call it a debriefing session that is actually run. It's, it's not optional for your military people, and it's also run by medical teams. I find that very interesting. This is the, one of the new uh, assets that we added to this. This is really the heart of the program, because before the, the, we began this program, it was not, it was not done, uh, how should I say, not planned, it was not, if people wanted, they could do it, but it was not systematic. Okay. And it was not guided 
by our guidelines. And sometimes officers did debriefings in their unit blaming the soldiers. And if you blame a soldier for what happened during a traumatic event, you may find yourself causing PTSD. So what we have is a plan that is implanted already into the medical corps, and it is, as you say, an obligatory plan. After any traumatic event in which a medical unit treated injured soldiers, and of course, any time that they treated soldiers that got killed, there is this debriefing which is done by a guidance of mental health officers, but it is actually done by the medical team commander, which is usually a physician who is not a psychiatrist and not a psychologist. Only if he finds that there are many PTSD cases in the unit, then he calls us. Then he calls the professional uh, people from the mental health department. This happens very quickly after some of the unit members have been involved in combat, either being injured or seeing an injury. It's not something that waits a, a number of days. I understand it happens. No, 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 no. After, after an event, after a traumatic event in which the medical team treats injured soldiers, there is this debriefing session which is built upon a professional debriefing, a professional mm, what is the exact term, a professional uh, medical debriefing, looking at what we did wrong and what we did right, how we treated the wounded, how we helped them, how fast we helped them, how good we helped them. And this is done by rounds that are led by the medical team commander. And this is done by guidelines that are given to him or her by us, by the mental health department. And in this way, we take care of the team's unity. We take care for seeing if there are people that are traumatized, if there is acute stressed team members. And in, this, in the final round, officer explains what happened, making sure that every team member does not have memory gaps and will not have unnecessary symptoms because of that, and planning for the next event and uh, emphasizing what was done correctly and what was the best practice that was done in a way that gives hope and encouragement to medics mainly and to the old team members, and therefore enabling them to go on and be more prepared for the next traumatic event. One of the things that all of us in mental health have learned is that after trauma, there is often a temporary or sometimes longer than temporary state of dissociation. People just pull away. So it sounds like your debriefing blocks or prevents this dissociative state from festering itself into a more serious or... One, one of the symptoms that we mean to prevent is dissociation because the, one of the main parts of the first round of the debriefing is that every person from the medical team gives his story, what he saw, what he did. Usually, during a traumatic event, everybody has his angle and his memory gap, and this even we think may cause dissociation. If everybody hears everybody else, and then the commander gives the whole picture with what happened, and what was the background, and what, was, what is the plan, then 
as you say, we hope that we can prevent unnecessary dissociative symptoms. We believe that it's important and we hope they don't have too many wars to test it. But uh, as I said, it is implanted already into our programs. I know that in Israel, a lot of women serve in the military. Do you have any data? Are women better armored against post-traumatic stress disorder than men? Do they present differently when they have a traumatic event? Well, this is interesting. We, don't, we do not do this differentiation, and we don't have that many women in our medical units. We do have quite a few women paramedics, and they are doing just fine, and they are doing exactly or even better than the boys. We have very interesting results among young volunteers, 17 or 18-year-old volunteers in our Israeli Red Cross, the Magen David Adom. And among these volunteers, it's very interesting. They don't really have post-traumatic symptoms after seeing those terrible terror attacks. And the differentiation there is such that the girls from the religious section have the lesser, it's not post-traumatic symptoms, it's very few symptoms that we could find, but they are the better off, the, the more prepared for uh, traumatic events are girls from the religious section, which is interesting. Very interesting. I often wonder if some of the differences that you see in Israel relates to a larger social issue, and that is the meaning of a war. I know that back during the Vietnam War days, a lot of people here in the United States thought it was a completely unjust war. It was unnecessary. Is there a different flavor to the way society looks at your military endeavors? And so... And I, the word that comes to mind is it's a necessary evil, these are heroes, and do they not look at the horror that people are still being hurt, they're being killed, they're being maimed? This, this, is, uh, this is one of the topics that we believe in. And interestingly, there was a large epidemiologic study done in 2003 during the most terrible terror attacks where when, as we said, about a thousand people got killed, most of them civilians. And I was one of the people that wrote the questions which were prepared for Israelis. It was a multinational psychiatric epidemiological survey. And in Israel, we thought, or some of us thought, that we'll have much more cases of PTSD and much more cases of anxiety and depression because we have all these events. And what was found is that Israeli population as a whole has much less PTSD symptoms and about the same anxiety symptoms as calm European countries, which is interesting. One of the reasons is because we understand that uh, we are in war and uh, that's life. Absolutely. You know, so many Israelis go into the military, and now that they have the program that you talk about, I would assume that they are carrying some of these skills, or hopefully many of these skills, with them after they leave the military. So it could end up that you have essentially a more resilient population overall. We began with a more resilient population because in 2003 this program was not implemented as it is today. And we were asking people, where did you serve in the military? Because we thought people that served in the military will have more PTSD symptoms. They did not. 
which says that either we can we did a good job preventing or treating it, or we have less symptoms because our population is resilient. You can speak about Jewish population in Israel as a Jewish population which should be genetically even more resilient traumas because unluckily it's not the first time that Jews are persecuted. Absolutely. We volunteer to that job here and everywhere. I, I read a statistic that said in the year 2009 here in the United States we had 160 soldiers committing suicide and 1,800 tried to commit suicide and earlier on when we were talking you said that your suicide rate is considerably lower. I don't know what the statistics are, the ratio of the number of American soldiers to the number who committed suicide but it's still 160 is too many much too many. Are you seeing basically a much lower incidence of suicide? This, this is also interesting because, you know, during wartime, the rate of suicide should decrease. And we, we see it in the, our army because every time there is a war, we see less suicide. Now the Israeli army, the, the IDF really, I'm not saying army, but uh, it's all united. The Israeli army has an advantage being rather small. And being small, we can plan things all together and implant plans that probably you cannot do the same in large-scale armies. Now, we have to remember that most of our soldiers are not career soldiers, as in the United States, but they are in compulsory service. And most of our suicides were compulsory service boys just entering the army. And many of them were regular boys with no psychiatric symptoms, because those we can detect, we have a very good system to detect them, that had a rifle. And you know, when a youngster has a rifle and thinks about suicide, then he may kill himself. Yes. If he's in college and doesn't have a rifle, then he forgets about it in a few minutes. So what we did is taking out the rifles from all the recruits in the first weeks of the service, and from all the recruits that don't have to take the rifle as a must, those that are not in combat units. And the rate of suicide dropped to in about 40%. So we have a very good experience in lowering the suicide rate. And, you know, because life is such an important issue in Judaism that every chief of staff, every general, is concerned in lowering suicide rates in the Israeli defense forces. So this is an issue not only for the professionals. This is a task of the IDF. We have in that, we have in that very good results, and they were in, of course they were of interest to the specialists in the American Army. Dr. Chaim Nobler is a psychiatrist at the Hadassah Medical School in Jerusalem, and he is also the former head of the Israeli Defense Forces Mental Health Department. He has been kind enough today to spend some time to talk about the Israeli Defense Forces approach to PTSD. It's an ongoing issue. It's a very interesting approach that you have, sir. Thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.